Welcome to the Love Yourself Healthy Podcast. I am Melanie Lillis. I'm a mind-body health coach, a nutritional therapist, and I have my Bachelor of Physical and Health Education. Throughout this podcast, we are going to be diving into the realm of eating psychology, body image, self-love, and creating a healthy and happy mind. I cannot wait to share my knowledge with you in hope that it will positively influence your life. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm so happy to be sharing this podcast with you today because we are going to be talking all things food timing as well as eating in recovery and for health. Now, before I get into the episode, I wanted to give a humongous shout out to everyone who takes the time to share my podcast or to leave me a review. They mean so much to me and it always brings the biggest smile to my face. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Now, I want to share this week's listener review before we move on. And it is from Marcella. She said, hi, I'm on holidays and have just binged your first few podcasts. It's the first time I've ever listened to any podcast and I feel so much better already. I was never happy with myself. However, I know I'm healthy. I run marathons, but I got myself down knowing I'll never be tiny. So thank you so much for your podcast. Thanks, Marcella. I'm sure you're not the only one who gets themselves down about their body. It's honestly one of the biggest issues that women have in today's society. So I'm just glad that I get to be a part of the amazing, you know, positive body image movement. And I hope that I get to inspire more women each day. And that's why I get so happy when people do share my podcast, because the thought of helping people around the world or women in like, you know, different locations, that is what fuels my fire. (laughs) So keep sharing, keep spreading the word, because I really want to make a change in the mindset and the mental health of women and especially young women um, these days. All right, let's get onto the podcast. All right, so the first thing that I am going to cover is food timing. And I have done a dedicated podcast about food timing already. So if you haven't heard that one yet, then please go back and listen to it. Now, when it comes to food timing, I do believe that it is quite important. Now, in saying that, everyone's body is different. So what one person says is never the be all or end all for everybody. And that is the same for what I'm going to be telling you today. Now, there is a nutritional strategy called biocircadian nutrition also known as meal timing. And it's a powerful tool that can help with weight, energy, mood, and appetite regulation. And to help you understand it a little bit better, I'm going to share some of the science behind, you know, eating rhythms and some observations of biocircadian nutrition in the real world. So I'm going to use like a day-to-day, hour-by-hour kind of situation. Now, let's say that you wake up in the morning and you decide against eating breakfast because you're not hungry or you think, I'll just skip brekkie to help with keeping my calories down, maybe for weight loss. And you decide that you're just going to maybe have a cup of coffee or a piece of fruit. So many people think that this is a really good strategy to lose weight. And I promise you it is not. (laughs) In the morning, your body temperature is rising to prepare you for metabolic changes. But when you don't eat much or if you don't eat at all, it actually stresses the body. And when it realizes that no food is actually coming, it decides not to raise the body temperature and instead it slows down your metabolism and it sends signals to the body to store weight as a survival tactic, thinking that there might be a famine. And this survival response, as I've spoken about many times in our podcast, is genetically programmed and it makes it 
a brilliant mechanism to ensure that we survive in disasters or famines. When the brain senses a low food supply, it makes simple changes to the metabolism in order to conserve energy. So it will store fat and it will stop building muscle. And it's actually a really, really amazing mechanism. And I genuinely want to give it a high five for having the capability to do this. But if you are someone who is trying to get uh, your body in a nice regular pattern and your metabolism in a nice regular pattern, and even if you are someone who wants a bit of weight loss, skipping breakfast is not the way to do it. This is particularly an issue for those who skip breakfast and just have coffee. Now, I love coffee. But coffee does raise the cortisol levels in the body. And cortisol is one of our stress hormones. And that means that the caffeine is stimulating a stress response, encouraging weight gain around the abdomen. This doesn't mean that coffee is bad, but if you are one of those people that are just having coffee for breakfast, then you're going to end up with a significantly higher cortisol level, which ultimately suppresses digestion and metabolism. You may notice a theme in my podcast, which is the stress response. And I know I always bring it up, but to be honest, I feel as though if you don't repeat something, people don't really learn about it. And it's the same for me. If something's repeated to me a lot, I will always remember it. So I guess that's why I always bring up the stress response, but it is so interlinked with everything that I talk about. And the stress response has essential hormones and it keeps coming back to those essential hormones and the role that the stress chemicals play in our health. The stress hormones are integral hormones in the body and without them, we couldn't exist. And in the correct quantity, they help to manage the function of every one of our major body systems. But when we are constantly overproducing stress chemicals, we prematurely age, we gain weight, and we slowly wear down the body's systems. Interestingly, it's the chemicals that we produce in our own bodies that create the most havoc and can be the most toxic. Now that we know a little more about the importance of eating breakfast, I want to go back to the meal timing. A little known scientific fact is that your body is designed to digest and burn the most calories when the sun is at its peak. When you don't give your body adequate fuel during this period, you actually miss your peak metabolic rate for the day. And typically I think the peak is around 12 to 1.30 p.m. If you are a lunch skipper, then you might notice that you start to become irritable or feel a headache developing mid-afternoon. If you don't have healthy and consistent eating habits, it means that you have an abnormal rhythm called arrhythmia. And this means that you aren't in sync with your body's natural flow. Now, the circadian cycle doesn't stop at lunch. I'm sure many of you know that eating fewer calories early in the day and skipping meals leads to the dreaded late arvo munchies, which carries on to having an oversized dinner. Now, unfortunately, the body's ability to burn calories is significantly lower in the evening than earlier in the day, and it's in preparation for our body's rest and recovery stage. So if you are eating a large meal around 8 p.m., it usually becomes a higher caloric load in the body than if you'd eaten the same meal at lunchtime. And this has always been one of those big ones for people who are specifically trying to lose weight because have a think about it for a second. What would your largest meal be? I know for me, mine is usually dinner. (laughs) Even after knowing this, I still eat my biggest meal at dinner. And even though I'm sure we are aware of this, we still do it, right? So we're actually eating our biggest meal of the day when we have the lowest metabolism. And this isn't the only downside of eating large meals before bed. When you eat too much before bed, you actually miss out on the benefits of a good sleep. During sleep, your metabolism changes. 
It allows the body to focus on maintenance and detoxification, repair, growth of all the tissues. And it's during sleep that the body grows new muscle and bone. In the liver, your main detoxification organ does most of its work in the late evening and the early hours in the morning when you should be fast asleep. And sleep is vital for effective function of repair and body, as I'm sure most of us know. So when you eat a lot of food before bedtime, the energy is rerouted. So instead of repairing, detoxifying and growing, the body has to focus on digesting food instead. And that means that there is a greater blood flow throughout the body, which can disturb sleep and prevent a deep sleep. And if we don't get enough sleep, our bodies will pay the price. The next day, you'll probably wake up feeling sluggish or congested as your body was unable to completely repair and detoxify overnight. So everyone is different, but it's recommended that you should consume your dinner about four hours before bedtime. And this is because four hours is enough for most people to fully digest and metabolize a meal. And when you allow this time to finish the meal, your body won't have to raise temperatures in order to metabolize the food. So if you have a lower body temperature, it's easier for sleep onset to occur, as well as getting like a restful night's sleep and your body gets a chance to do what it's supposed to do overnight. So let me summarize quickly before we move on. (laughs) Eat your brekkie within an hour or so of waking and have your biggest meal when the sun is highest in the sky and your smallest meal at dinner, ensuring that you are eating around about four hours before bedtime, if possible. With all that said, learn what works best for you and your body. And we all have our own unique body shape, weight distribution, lifestyle, and demands. So don't be scared to play around with meal timing and just see what makes you feel the best. The next point that I want to touch on is eating for recovery and health. I just want to preface this by saying that the points that I'm going to cover next are my own opinions and they have been formed from my own research Do your own research and always speak with a health professional if you're wanting to try a specific way of eating, all right? So when it comes to recovery, in particular, those who have suffered from an eating disorder, I cannot stress enough how important eating high nutritionally dense foods are for helping your body in its recovery process. If you were anything like me, I abused my body to the point of sickness and I ate a lot of highly processed, quote unquote, low calorie foods like diet bars, as well as taking diet pills and laxatives to assist weight loss. And my body was struggling. It was struggling to repair because it was lacking in the essential nutrients that it needed to heal. So if you are in the recovery process, not only do I suggest following my meal timing suggestion, so making sure you're having your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but I also suggest seeing a nutritionist or a dietitian to create you a meal plan that will ensure you're hitting your macronutrient needs. Now, personally for me, I follow a plant-based diet as I believe that eating this way and eating in abundance gives my body the best possible chance to thrive. And I personally, again, I'm just stressing the word personally, I don't believe that eating animal products are crucial for my health. Before I get into recovery specific eating, I want to chat about a couple of things. In particular, dairy. So many scientific studies are showing that an assortment of detrimental health effects are directly linked to dairy consumption. And the most surprising link is that Not only do we barely absorb the calcium in cow's milk, especially if it's pasteurized, but to make it worse, it actually increases calcium loss from the bones, which is quite ironic. And if you're wondering how it happens, 
Like all animal protein, milk acidifies the body's pH, which in turn triggers a biological correction. You see, calcium is an excellent acid neutralizer, and the biggest storage of calcium in the body is in the bones. So the very same calcium that our bones need to stay strong is utilized to neutralize the acidifying effect of milk. Like any other animal-derived protein-rich food, milk has a positive potential renal acid load, P-R-A-L, which triggers a protective biological reaction to neutralize all the damaging acidic protein before it reaches the kidneys. The body is designed for survival, right? So it will sacrifice the bone's density to protect the kidneys and urinary tract because the latter are essential to survive. And the most readily available source of acid neutralizer is in the bones. So even though milk contains a great number of calcium, it actually ends up sapping your bones of that crucial mineral. Now, knowing this, you'll understand why statistics show that countries with the lowest consumption of dairy also have the lowest fracture incidence in their population. And the countries with the highest consumption of dairy have the highest fracture incidence in their population. Thanks to our creative ingenuity and perhaps related to our ancient survival needs, we adopted this dubious habit of drinking another species milk. Now, nobody can dispute that cow's milk is an excellent food source for calves. (laughs) They weigh in at around 100 pounds at birth and typically gain approximately eight times its weight by the time it's weaned. But unlike humans, once calves are weaned, they never drink milk again. And the same applies to every mammalian species on this planet. Also, each mammalian species has its own like designer milk and cow's milk is no exception. For example, cow's milk contains on average three times the amount of protein than human milk, which creates this metabolic disturbance in humans that have detrimental bone health consequences. And knowing this information, I personally decided to cut dairy out of my diet as best I could. And this was to ensure that my body was getting its best possible chance to heal and thrive. I also decided to cut animal products out for the same reasons. I did my own research and I decided that it was not crucial for my health to have it in my diet and that I may actually feel much better without it. And I do, trust me. (laughs) As I mentioned above though, I would urge anyone to do their own research on nutrition before jumping into any specific ways of eating. And if you are going to research for yourself, make sure it's coming from a credible source, especially when it comes to reading scientific papers and how the science is actually interpreted. Now, Simon Hill from the Plant Proof podcast shared a great post about this the other day. He said that if we are going to ask if a food is healthy, we always have to consider compared to what. What he means by this is if you remove a food from your diet, what are those calories going to be replaced with? And in doing so, how does one's disease risk change? For example, is red meat healthy? Compared to refined carbohydrates, aka junk food, the science suggests that it may be a healthier option. But if you compare that food to foods rich in unrefined carbohydrates or polyunsaturated fats or monounsaturated fats or plant protein, the science suggests that it's certainly not healthy. There is so much potential for misinterpretations of findings So if you are reading the literature, be sure to go beyond the headline and beyond the journal abstract. If the researchers are concluding a food is healthy or unhealthy, see if they've considered compared to what. Now, let's chat specifically about eating for recovery. 
This can be a super tricky time because you are more than likely out of whack with your hunger or your metabolism, as well as your calorie burning. So it's important to be kind to your body and to take it slow, literally. Like every meal needs to be at super slow speed. This will allow your brain, your digestive system, your metabolism, your calorie burning capacity to figure out what's happening and to send the correct signals to help with the process. So if you have been a culprit of skipping meals, purging, binging at super speed, your body needs time to get back to basics and back to normal. Eating slow, as I said, helps to allow ultimate digestion and calorie burning capacity, which is super important because people recovering from eating disorders often suffer from poor gut health. Now, when I was thinking about giving advice for this section, I realized that my advice would greatly differ depending on what disorder someone suffered from. So instead, I'm just going to give you a rundown of the foods that I ate in recovery from bulimia and binge eating. Um, I'm not going to get into specifics about, you know, different things that I did, but more so just on the foods that I ate and the reasons behind why I ate those foods. But feel free to message me on my email, which is hello at bearxbrave.com or my Instagram, which is at bearxbrave. And I'm more than happy to give specific advice to people. Um, yeah, just like specific to their situation. So for breakfast, just as a backstory, I used to be so scared of carbs. Like I thought that if I ate any carbs, I'd just put on fat. I thought that were the main reason for people gaining fat. And it's so not the case unless you're eating refined carbohydrates like junk food. So introducing carbs back into my diet was really scary, but once I did, I actually lost weight. (laughs) And it's because when you are lacking in a main macronutrient, your body goes into a low-level stress response. So I was actually holding onto the weight. And when I started to eat the carbs again, my body realized that I wasn't lacking in that main macronutrient anymore, and it went back to balance, and my metabolism sped up, and my calorie burning capacity sped up, and everything worked as it should do. So... I started to switch between a few brekkies because I wanted to eat in abundance, which means having a wide range of different foods. So I'd either have two pieces of toast with avocado and eggs, whereas nowadays I have scrambled tofu instead of eggs because there is less saturated fat and cholesterol, and instead I get more polyunsaturated fats, which lowers my risk of cardiovascular disease. My second option for breakfast would be overnight oats, which I still absolutely love. They are a great source of prebiotics, which feed bacteria in your colon. And this process actually results in the production of incredibly healthy metabolites. Oats are also a really good source of insoluble fiber, which helps to bulk up your stool, (laughs) remove toxins from the GI tract and to keep you regular, which everyone loves. (laughs) And they are also packed with micronutrients, particularly the minerals, iron, selenium, magnesium, and zinc. I top my oats with berries, banana, ground flax seeds, and chia seeds, and they are rich in protein, fiber, omega-3 fatty acids, antioxidants, potassium, and more. My last brekkie that I would have, usually only in summer, I don't usually have this in winter, is smoothies. I still love smoothies, and I still have smoothies, but again, not in winter because I'd freeze. And I would pack my smoothies with berries, banana, protein powder, almond milk, greens powder, spinach, and chia seeds. Sometimes I'd chuck some peanut butter in there as well if I wanted a more caramelly taste. And once again, packed with loads of nutrients to get my day started. I found that smoothies were nice and quick, just chuck them in the blender and they're good to go. And I knew that I was filling my body up with lots and lots of delicious um, nutrients. 
Moving on to lunch, I would make lots of salads and I just fill them with like leafy greens and vegetables and seeds. Or I'd like make butter bowls filled with rice, uh, beans, sweet potato. And to any of my meals, I would just choose which protein source I'd want to have. So whether it was tofu or tempeh or lentils or beans, I would just choose one or mix them together so I knew that I was getting a high protein meal. Dinners would be pretty basic. I loved stir fries. So I would have a lot of stir fries and I would fill them with a diversity of veggies with quinoa as well as tempeh. And I would make sure that in each of my stir fries, I was adding a different vegetable. So I wasn't having the same one each time. Obviously, I could have the same ones, but just making sure that I was filling my plate with a diversity of vegetables to get in different nutrients. These days, I like to mix it up and make it a bit more fun with things like curries, soups, and like vegan Sancho Bao, and just anything that, you know, I get excited to make. Now, I am a massive sweet tooth. So for snacks, I would always have something sweet, (laughs) and I would either make protein balls or bliss balls, or I would go and buy some organic chocolate. So when I was in my recovery, I was studying nutritional therapy, and this is how I got all of my information and education around nutrition and what foods had what vitamins and minerals and what was important and what foods I need to pair with what to make sure they absorb better. (laughs) But I really did eat for my health, and that's the biggest tip that I can give anyone. And I remember when I started out, I wanted to make sure that all of my meals were so nourishing and I made a list of questions that I would ask myself each day. And they were, one, what's going to be my major protein source? Was it beans, lentils, tofu, tempeh, or was it a combination? Two, what healthy fats will I include? Nuts, seeds such as chia and flax seeds or avocado. And these ensure that I'm getting whole food sources of omega-3s and also ensure good absorptions of vitamins A, D, E, and K, which are day-soluble vitamins. Three, what have I eaten recently? I want to ensure that I'm eating a range of plant diversity to get maximum nutrients. And number four, what unrefined carbs will I include? Foods such as whole grains, legumes, fruit, and veggies. And going through these questions daily really helped me to ensure that I wasn't depriving myself. And it also helped me like mentally because I felt so proud of myself for eating in a way that would decrease my chance of disease and illness. And instead, it was increasing my chance of thriving. And I know that it may seem like a lot at first, but eventually you just start to do it naturally and it just becomes a habit. And nowadays, I didn't need to ask myself these questions because I know that I'm getting in everything I need. So if you're a little bit sure where to start, I would start by writing out a list of foods that you really love and then split them into their main macronutrient categories. So go through all the foods and just Google it if you're not sure and figure out what's a carbohydrate, what's a protein and what's a fat and then put them in their categories. Then under their categories, I would then make two different headings, health rich or health poor. And then pop them under, is this really health rich, which means is it high in nutrient value or is it a little bit lower in nutrient value? And then just put them into those two subcategories. And then you can write up a few breakfast, lunch and dinner ideas using the foods that you like, selecting ingredients from each macronutrient section and picking only from the health rich list. And then a couple of days a week or maybe for your snacks, you could create some meals picking from the health poor section. Because recovery is about balance. So it's important not to deprive yourself of anything if it's going to cause you to relapse. Now, I couldn't go a day without chocolate, so I don't. But I ensure that it's the best possible source of this food that I can get. So try to shop organic where you can. 
As I've said a couple of times in this podcast, if you're not sure where to begin, please just go and see a nutritionist or a dietitian or get a little bit more health advice so that you know you're not going to be depriving yourself or anything or getting any nutrient deficiencies. Because especially if it comes to choosing a plant-based diet, you need to know what you need to eat. You need to know how much protein, how much carbs, how much fat, where to get the sources from, what to supplement with and all of that. There are so many people who try to change to a specific diet, but they don't really know what they're doing. And then they get deficient in something and then they blame the diet, whereas they didn't actually have the education to begin with. So make sure you do your research. And if you have any other questions, I am absolutely more than happy to help. Okay. So I hope this podcast has been helpful for you. It was a short and sweet one. If you have any questions or would like some more information, please don't hesitate to email me on hello at bearxbrave.com or on my Instagram at bearxbrave. I'll speak to you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I would be so grateful if you could share this podcast and leave it a review and be sure to follow me on my Instagram at bearxbrave. If you need to contact me, you can do so at hello at bearxbrave.com. Speak to you in the next podcast.